Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Chip Scoggins, live from Houston. Well, not live for you guys, but live for us. Hey, guys, how's it going? Recorded live from Recorded Houston live. and Minneapolis. <laughs> right after a, a 31-23 to 23 Vikings win, the offense pulls it out. The defense does just enough to stop potentially throwing this one away. Harrison Smith gets ejected. The Vikings have false, a false positive and some inconclusive COVID tests showing up to the stadium. A lot to get through. Um, guys, what, did you, what was your first reaction? Ben, just starting with you, what was your first reaction to seeing them actually seal this one with a win as opposed to giving this one up? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think in a lot of ways, it was similar to last week in terms of they did a lot of the same things really well. Um, I think a more efficient team probably would have beat them today. Um, the, the Titans were not perfect either. In fact, the Titans tried to do a lot of things to lose that game, but the Titans at least had a running game to speak of, which the Texans did not. Um, I came away from the game even more perplexed by what in the world Bill O'Brien was thinking with that trade this summer, with uh, getting David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins. I think, especially on a day like this, if you had DeAndre Hopkins, this game might have looked a lot different. So I, it's a it's a win. They needed it, I think, for their own morale. I, I don't know that it shows that anything is fixed, but wins in the NFL tend to – beget confidence, which then sometimes begets more wins. So uh, I, I don't know that <laughs> next week is the greatest uh, place to test that theory, but perhaps it gives them some confidence moving forward and things change from there. We'll have to see. Yeah, I would say that um, I think for the last two weeks and reinforced today that they have two stars on offense that are really, really good that are game changers and Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and a whole lot of flaws on defense that uh, – different circumstances with they're just piecemealing this together at this point, especially when you lose Harrison Smith yep. for half. I mean, some of the guy, I mean, you start two rookie cornerbacks, you got a guy who's elevated from the practice squad and gets thrust in there. George Ielka has to play a lot. Um, linebackers. What was the stat that Zimmer said that three of the five linebackers weren't with them uh, at training camp that they're playing with. So um, not the defense that he thought he was going to have, obviously, and, and they're sort of just hanging on, but um Man, Dalvin and, and Jefferson are pretty special. Yeah, that offense is really kind of what kept them going. Um, I think this is going to be, too, something where, Ben, you just said before the podcast, at least they get to move on without doing additional COVID testing. Um, what a week to go from the facility being closed for two days, uh, the Titans outbreak being up to 20 people, if you count yeah. the practice squad player and the coach that were positive before the Vikings game. Um. And then you talk about what Mike Zimmer just basically revealed at, uh, after the game, talking about how they had a false positive with a starter, how three tests were inconclusive. Um, he says those were all on the point-of-care tests that were given to them Sunday morning. Um, remember, because they were close to the Titans, they were the first team that was given those point-of-care tests on Sunday morning. Um, ben, he even said that they got inactives in late, but I, I guess I didn't notice because they came in on time when they were released publicly. But Yeah. Um, Anyway, it just sounds like they had even more obstacles to get through on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the, 
the inactives, I think when we see them came out around the normal time, but I'm sure the teams have to submit those to NFL game ops people earlier than we see them. But um, yeah, it, it, it was an interesting morning because I, I, first thing I did, and this is covering the NFL in 2020, is the, the first thing you do when you wake up is check around to see if they had any positive COVID tests the night before because they would have taken the PCR tests yesterday before they left Minneapolis for Houston. So those results came through this morning completely clean. And then, yeah, they were doing these extra point of care tests for sort of the rapid tests that aren't quite as um, aren't quite as accurate as the PCR test, but they return results a lot faster. So, um, they, yeah, as you said, Andrew, this is the first time that anybody's had to do this. They had to do it because of their exposure to the Titans last week, and they will not have to do that this week. The extra point of care tests that they did this previous week will not be on their schedule going into the Seattle game. But, yeah, an extra headache, an extra probably set of nerves and set of nervous moments before the game, and then the game itself provided plenty of those. But, yeah, I think in the end you get a win in a game like that. It, it, it would have been quite a gut punch to go through this week have a game go the way it did, and then you blow another lead at the end. I mean, I, I don't – and I wrote this in my game story. I don't know that this means, okay, let's go. Everything's back on track. Playoffs are in sight. They're going to go on a winning streak, and that is the trajectory of the season. But I think if you lose one like this, knowing that you're going to Seattle, it's it would be pretty easy after that to start to see people say, uh, this is a lost year. And – it, it may turn out to still be that, but it's at least this gives you a chance to say, let's play this thing out a little bit more and see where it goes. Yeah, the Vikings were able to um, do this without a practice on Wednesday, which is, I mean, to me, it's quite the indictment on, on Bill O'Brien as a coach. And the Texans <laughs> find themselves at 0-4 and lost to a team that was on the road uh, against a marginal, small home crowd um, with 13,000 fans allowed in there. And then also with one extra practice on the team. Uh, the Vikings did try to get extra stuff in. They extended walkthrough on Saturday, extended some on-field time Thursday and Friday. But um, Kirk Cousins called it just another curveball this week. Um, he was able to play a turnover-free game. That was probably a big reason why they were able to win this game. Um, Chip, what did you think about the game he played? Yeah, I, I, he had the one drive where um, – and it really started with the defense. And you got to give him credit after they have the 43-year-old uh, – 43 um, that Gladney gave up to, I think it's four, and they, but they they were at the eight yard line. They hold them to a field goal there. Then the Vikings come back with a seventy five yard touchdown drive. And I thought Cousins made three really good throws there. Uh, he hit uh, Jefferson on one where he was covered, and Jefferson just made a really good play. The backpedaling one to Rudolph, um, and then the touchdown to Thielen, and that was his best moment of the season. I thought that drive. Now, you know the. The drive where they could have put the game away, where he underthrows Thielen, uh, into that after the game, and, and that's one he needs to make, right? I mean, um, so a lot of positives for for Cousins. Obviously, he I think he would rather have that that throwback to to, uh, to Thielen that he underthrew him on on third down. Um, but it was you know I thought he played well. I thought he uh, you know he made some really good throws. Uh, I don't I can't remember where all four of Jefferson's throws contested. I know two or three of them were where he really – the back shoulder one that, that went on that drive. So he made some tough catches for him. But I, I thought Cousins um, 
Yeah, you know, he had a couple ones that he went back, but I thought he played well. There's that stretch where it's it's that you were just talking about, Chip, where it was almost looking like, hey, that's the a mobile kind of quarterback. You're seeing him running out there, kind of rolling out Oof. of the pocket. He's making a throw with a guy in his face with an arm up. Um, and that's a, one of those contested ones to Jefferson. I'm sitting there wondering, why can't he do that every single time? And I'm sure the Vikings are wondering that, too, because it's that consistency where sometimes when that pressure gets in his face, it's a fumble or a turnover, and today it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of those, and he, he looks – sometimes he looks comfortable doing that. And then sometimes when the play breaks out, he does not look comfortable. I thought it was interesting that, you know, on the on the, the one run where they uh, – was the fourth down where he, he does the, the – the sweep outside with they'd send Dalvin in motion and he keeps it you know, and picks up the first down. And, um, you know, it's weird to see him run more than Deshaun Watson. I, I, I have no idea what's happened to Deshaun Watson. I thought he was awful today, to be honest with you. I mean, he made a couple of throws late, but um, he missed throws that just, you don't really see him missing. And I don't know if it's losing Hopkins or the offense or lost confidence or whatever, but he just, he just does not look like the same guy at all. Ben, what is happening at Energy Stadium right now? I can hear uh, some. I think yeah, it's my com- – I think just cleaning. I don't really hear much of anything. I, I don't oh, know what don't? Chip has going. <laughs> okay. I think it's I my thought, room. I, I thought it was like somebody in the stands or something. I don't know if the security team was breaking it down there like they do at U.S. Bank Stadium or what? No, there, there's no uh, – I mean, there's people cleaning the stands. There's no one protecting the house as far as I can see. Uh, I mean, they're cleaning the house, but uh, <laughs> no, it's not being protected, or at least they're not, they're not breaking it down. Well, at, Ben, uh, wh- well, tell me your thoughts. Let's, let's talk about Harrison Smith getting ejected. I mean, this happens in the second quarter. This happens really quickly. Yeah. There's, there's conflicting, um, at least, information out there about who made the decision. Uh, Al Riveron came out and said all we did was confirm it. It was made by Brad Rogers and the crew on the field. And Mike Zimmer says, hey, Brad Rogers and crew told me the league made the decision. Either way, Harrison Smith ejected for just the second time in his career? Yeah, first time was uh, almost eight years ago to the day. They beat Tennessee at home. This was my first year on the beat. Smith was a rookie and made contact with an official to – he was arguing a call about something or other, probably a penalty, and then – he ended up bumping into the official and they tossed him out of the game. And, and he was basically the first guy at his locker after the games to say, I, I screwed up. I don't want to be that type of player. I'm I'll take whatever fine they give me. I'll, I'll hold myself accountable for it and own up to it. So between then and there, I mean, he's a guy that, that hits hard, but you know, I've talked to him about this over the years, about you know some of the new rules, I think the year after, the Anthony Barr hit on Aaron Rodgers, there was all those new ones about, you know, you can't put your full weight on a guy as he's going to the ground. And, and Smith, I had a conversation with him before that season. He's like, I want to evolve with the game too. I, I want to be a guy that plays within the rules and challenges myself to play a safer brand of football, but the rules have to be physically possible. So he's not the type of guy that's just like, I'm going to go back and tee off on people like, other Vikings safeties <laughs> have done in the past. Uh, guys that maybe have played next to Harrison Smith. Uh, he's not typically that type of player, and that's why Mike Zimmer, I think, was so upset about it, is that he doesn't have a reputation for, for coming in and you know, hitting with his helmet or hitting late or hitting dirty or you know whatever you want to look at. It's not typically the way he plays, and it was kind of a bang-bang play that 
you know, the guy's going to the ground and then he's trying to make a play on the ball and coming to the middle. So, um, yeah, I, I see the complaint, but it was pretty clear that he did lower his helmet and initiated the contact that way, whether or not it was intentional. And But the NFL's rule, is, as I think Kevin Seifert pointed out, um, does not have to be triggered by malice. If you have a hit like that, they are going to call it, even if they think it wasn't intentional. So see what happens. I, I would assume there'd be a fine this week. I don't think there would be a suspension, but I, I would think his pocketbook may be a little lighter later in the week. Yeah, I would be shocked if he's suspended. Um, you have to know the yeah. player. I mean, I, I just don't – I can't see that. Uh, fine. I think it's, cool roller, fine. it's not a guy that yeah. – I think it's probably pretty obvious he's going to get fined because we see fines for a lot lesser penalties. Yeah. Um, but, you know, penalty, yes. I thought it was uh, an over overreach to eject him. Um, but if, I guess if you go by letter of the law, and like you said, it doesn't have to have malice or you're intentionally trying to hurt someone. Um, but it is interesting whoever came up with that decision because we heard, like you said, we, we got two different versions in the postgame on who, who made the ultimate call. Yeah, and Mike Zimmer was not happy with whoever that is. <laughs> whoever yeah. decided <laughs> Zimmer was, uh, I believe, I believe the camera on Fox, the broadcast, picked it up perfectly, the exact word for word. And you didn't have to bleep it out because you couldn't hear the sound, but you could tell what he was saying. <laughs> um, and it was not great. Was uh, he mic'd up like he was uh, in that <laughs> glorious? I don't think we'll hear that one. <laughs> gets a Rams in 2015. I don't think that one will make the Twitter cut. I don't, That's I don't, too bad. You know, it's interesting. When he came out the second half, they, I thought that first drive by the Texans when they scored, they really were trying to go at that secondary and, and with tempo, they sped them up, try to make quick decisions. Um, and you think about it, you got two rookie, you know, cornerbacks, a, a safety who, you know, probably wasn't expecting to play, you know, three days ago. Well, this is a, this is a great segue to, into just cause Iloka talking about, or not him, but Zimmer talking about how Iloka was supposed to be just our backup nickel. We were down two corners with Hughes and Chris Boyd being out um, they had Gladney playing the slot. They needed a backup in case Gladney got hurt. And so they were training Iloka to do that, but they only had really two days of practice. And so they didn't even give him really reps at safety. So Zimmer says he actually went to Iloka and said, are, can you go in? Are you good? Like, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> Which is astonishing at the NFL level, yeah. but it's because it, COVID season, they've only got two practices. It's a guy they signed September. They never had safety depth to begin with. And, and here they've got George Iloka out there who got burned, but then at the very end of the goal line makes mm -hmm. a big play. Yeah, I'm sure there was some communication bust. Well, in the one touchdown, looked like he broke inside. Yeah, underneath route, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and so, but, you know, this was a desperate situation for him defensively when you look at what they're trying to do, as, as I said earlier, just piecemeal. And I think it further – you mentioned being an indictment on, on Bill O'Brien in that offense that you couldn't really expose that secondary more than, than what you were able to. Well, Chip, I think you and I were sitting there early in the second half when they kind of marched down and scored it. I think they, they ran a read option thing with um, Watson and, and David Johnson. David Johnson does not look like the same guy, and they, they don't use him that way like the, the Cardinals used to use him. But we were sitting there saying – I mean, it almost reminded me of the uh, – the playoff game in Green Bay in at the end of the 2012 season where they put Joe Webb in. It's like, why don't you just start, I mean, run tempo, 
get Watson moving, get people confused in terms of what they're supposed to do when he breaks out of the pocket. You could, I think, have created a lot of confusion in the second half if you had said, okay, we're going to just play this way and, and try to stress this defense. They, for whatever reason, didn't stick with that the entire game, and I thought it was probably to their detriment in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Deshaun Watson not running a whole lot in that game certainly had to have helped the Vikings. Um, Kirk, because who would have thought? Kirk Cousins, fourth down, quarterback <laughs> sweep. What did you guys think of that play call by Gary Kubiak? I liked I mean, it. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you sent Dalvin in motion, right? And so all yeah. guys were probably looking that way and whoop, sleep up, sneak up. It was a great play call. I mean, it's something you're not expecting at all. Um, and so the element of surprise was there and, you know, it worked. And so, I, you know, it's not something I would probably try a lot of, but the element of surprise definitely worked. And I think sending Dalvin in motion took people's well, eyes out. it's on tape now. You got to think <laughs> Pete Carroll right. this week is going to say, guys, we got to yeah. spend a little bit of time. I know Dalvin Cook's the concern, but this number eight can break out of the pocket. <laughs> and we got to be aware of that. I, I did think on the last – drive where they had a chance to go kill the clock they, they did something similar again where they they ran play action to Dalvin and they booted Cousins out to the left and everybody went with Dalvin and Cousins had an easy completion at Thielen for like seven yards I mean it basically was like a yeah. long handoff but um, it got you seven yards and put you in a favorable down and distance situation that you may not have gotten if everybody thought okay Dalvin's just gonna get the ball so they did do some things off of that, and, and Dalvin got a lot of attention. I, I think he had NFL Next Gen Stats had him facing eight in the box on nine of his 27 carries. Now, some of those are probably near the goal line, so you're going to get to yeah. account for that a little bit. But it is getting to the point again where, I mean, the, the, the holy grail with Adrian Peterson was always he gets so much attention that you can take advantage of that and make plays downfield, and they never had the quarterback to do it with Adrian. Now, I mean, Cousins is not perfect, but if he does anything really well, it's play action, and they can hit some of those throws if there's so much attention being paid to Dalvin Cook. Yeah, we saw the one, uh, was it the 39-yarder to Thielen where he's wide open, came off a hard yes. play action there. We saw several play actions there, and hey, when you have a talent like Dalvin, you should be able to expose that, even when he's not caring to do that play action and, and create opportunities down the field. Especially when Justin Jefferson's going to look the way he did. Um, I mean, that's Ben. T- I mean, just share what Kirk Cousins said when you had asked about that back shoulder throw because, I mean, this is something that, that was you a see. fight to get that question in. By the way, well, <laughs> well, it was, it was. But you see, that's the kind of play you're used to seeing from you know Jordan, Aaron Rodgers to Jordy Nelson, and then that kind of timing and how hard that can come down. Yeah, it, I mean, that's what it reminded me of. Rodgers has made a living, and and as the Vikings know as well as anybody, he's killed them with those throws over the years, but typically with him, it's been, like you said, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings did a lot of that, Devontae Adams, the guys that Rodgers has played with over and over and over. I asked Cousins about it, basically saying, you haven't had the time to do it. And he's like, yeah, it's funny you ask because I came over to the sideline and Sean Manning's like, you've been working on back throw, back shoulder throws with Justin Jefferson? You know, basically they haven't had the time to do it. But he said at some point, it's just trusting that if I put it out there, he can do it. And that – it, it's a, I, I think, a pretty high compliment for a rookie receiver. And we've talked a lot about how polished he is as a rookie because of the fact that his brothers played at LSU and he played in a pro-style offense for a lot of his time there and has been exposed to a lot of things that a lot of rookies are still learning. But that's a tough 
throw for a receiver to get the timing and to have the body control to make the catch, especially as tight as it was. So it, I thought, was a pretty strong – and Jefferson kind of said this too – a pretty strong indicator of how much they're starting to trust him. And, it, you know, if you're able to make those types of throws, because he does have speed to beat you deep, and that's how Rodgers always has done it too, is if you're playing off of him because you're scared that he's going to go over the top on you, then he throws back shoulder and it's 18 yards. And, you know, if, I, if you can get three or four of those – in a game, you'll you'll take those two. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that, that that just stand out was like that was third and six, and yeah. a pivotal have a seven point lead at a pivot in the early fourth quarter. Goes to his rookie, and not only did he go to him, we we were talking for the plays that we when he lined up, he's like, oh, he's got man, you know, he's got man coverage out there. But third and six, he's looking right at his rookie, and he throws a a pass that they've never worked on a back shoulder throw. So it's like, not only was he going to him, he throws a play that they haven't rehearsed or a spot they haven't rehearsed and it, and it works. And, you know, on the, on the one earlier in the game on Dalvin's touchdown run, the one we hit broke like three tackles, there was a play on there where uh, Jefferson broke in and he cut it outside and the, and the defender pulled, yanked on his jersey and it didn't slow him down. He still got separation and got a big play there. So, I mean, he's showing all kinds of different um, maturity. For a guy that's only played four games, it's just getting open and doing different things. I mean, he does not look like a guy who's just played four games. Yeah, and the other thing that's impressed me, too, I mean, if you think back to last week, he had the one where Cousins threw the pick that he stopped his route, and Cousins made it sound like I needed to throw the ball further outside. So Cousins kind of put it on himself, but you could have surmised that Jefferson maybe should have kept his route going on that one. So whether it's that or just – how quickly they've increased his workload. It, it seems like he's coming along awfully quickly and they are not shying away from, I mean, Gary Kubiak talked about, we, we've kind of brought him along at the, at the right pace and we needed to kind of make sure we were careful with it the first couple of weeks, but it certainly seems like the, uh, the restrictor plate is off at this point. We're down in Texas and using NASCAR analogies, but um, <laughs> it, I mean, it seems like they, they're like, okay, Let's go, and uh, he can handle it. Yeah, I think he can. Well, guys, before we go, um, Vikings haven't announced what they're going to do for their October 18th home game, but the Texans allowed 13-some thousand fans in. What was that like? I mean, this place is so big that – I mean, this place feels more cavernous than U.S. Bank Stadium to me. Um, it didn't seem – I mean, everybody was fairly spread out. It, I, I mean, you could hear the crowd, certainly. I'm sure it came through on TV, too, but – it was still fairly sparse looking when you looked around the stands and there were some Vikings fans and, you know, people kind of in different pockets, but it, it felt like, uh, and I obviously have no vantage point to see what the concession stands, or the bathrooms or anything like that are like, but it, in the stands, at least it seemed like the social distancing was fairly easy to do. I yeah. it didn't seem terrible to me, I guess. Yeah, they were fans were obviously spread out. I guess you you could say probably if you're on a field, it it provides some aesthetics, like you can hear it. But it, it's never gonna it's not gonna be a home field advantage. I mean, it's not gonna be so intimidating, loud that all we gotta do is silent count and all that. You're not gonna get that. It it, it probably helps the players feel a little more normal because they can hear you know some they heard some booze today. And there's like yeah, they did. <laughs> the Texans heard some booze. Maybe they preferred they didn't let the fans in, but uh, it, you know it provides a little, but it's not gonna disrupt it's not going to be disruptive to you know the opposing offense 
Yeah, and I can't imagine the Vikings allow or get the clearance to allow that many fans that are going to create um, what they're used to, certainly at U.S. Bank Stadium. All right. Um, well, let's break it there. And, and thanks for checking out our Access Vikings podcast. Please check out StarTribune.com for all of our work from the game and moving forward into the Seahawks game. Maybe you should get off the podcast.